Good morning, Sun Valley Church. Uh, it's good to be here with you, even in this venue again. Uh, we're sorry we couldn't be together this Sunday, but uh, as it is, we needed to, to take this Sunday off. But uh, we have this, and we're thankful that uh, God has given us the ability to do this much and, and uh, experience the, the blessings of God in this way. And so we're going to move forward with that and thank him for that. Would you pray with me as I begin uh, or enter into the word of God that he will bless us and, and open our hearts to this? Dear Father, we thank you that we can come now into your presence as a people, as Sun Valley Church, and sit under the instruction of your Holy Spirit through your word. I pray that you would illuminate our hearts with your word and that we would understand and grasp the things that you would have us. Uh, thank you for your word. Bless us with it now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't often, in fact I've never started a sermon with a magic trick, but today is a new day. And I'm going to do that today. Now I want you to watch this coin closely and be amazed. Look how easily that disappears. You want to see it again? That coin grabbed in the right hand is not there. Every time I do that trick with children, they're awestruck, they're amazed, they sit there with their mouths open, but when I do that for adults, they think I need to go take a nap or get some rest. Um, it's the experience of being truly awestruck uh, is something that diminishes with age, it seems. Um, it, it is an infrequent occurrence for those of us who are adults. It seems like the older we get, the less impresses us, I suppose for good reason. But as children, everything that we come across, at least every new thing we come across, it has a good chance of bringing a sense of awe and wonder with it. I'm sure you have seen that if you have children. Humanity, though, for the most part, has lost its sense of wonder. It's lost its sense of awe, in a large part because it's lost its awareness of God, is what I would think, who is the source of everything truly wonderful. So if you eject God, the source of everything wonderful, of course what follows him is wonder and awe. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul writes this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. This here is a, a record of Paul's wonder and awe in his view of God. Even this Paul, who had been caught up into paradise, it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, and heard unspeakable words, was awestruck by the character of God there in Romans chapter 11. He was regularly brought to the place of awe and wonder in his letters that he was writing. The Bible speaks of wonder quite often, actually. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that the apostles did signs and wonders, things that created awe in the eyes of those who witnessed them. Jesus is called the wonderful counselor in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're familiar with that. In Psalm 139, verse 14, it says that all of God's works are wonderful. And we can confirm that when we walk outside on a dark, starry night and look upwards. We, we are awestruck by the, by the grandeur of the universe that we can see. Now as we re-enter Psalm 119, which I'm very excited about, we do so at verse 129. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there with me. Psalm chapter 119, verses 129 through 144 today. We're going to look in an overview sense at the Pei and Sade stanza, those two stanzas, 16 verses total, but it's just going to be an overview. We'll return in the weeks to come and dive in more deeply and detailed. But here in the Pei stanza, we, we read of God's 
wonder in his word. Look, look at verse 129 as I read it. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Your testimonies are wonderful, they're awe-inspiring, therefore my soul keeps them. For the believer, it doesn't take much to bring awe and wonder to our minds as we contemplate the greatness of God in Scripture. We, we see the, the wonder of our salvation, the, the depth of his love, the, the greatness of his mercy all over Scripture, and that brings a sense of awe and wonder to us who truly have experienced those things. Just think a little bit with me through what we have just studied in Philippians to, to help you see what I'm trying to say here about how we, we come across uh, awe and wonder regularly in Scripture. Remember the, the wonderful condescension of the God of the universe who came into our experience in humanity. Turn real quickly with me to Philippians chapter 2 and look with me at verses 6 through 8 and see if this doesn't bring a sense of wonder to you. Look what it says. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The, the God of the universe condescended to become one of us to, to take care of our salvation, our needs, our, 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 our sin. This is what God did. Does that not bring a sense of awe and wonder to you? I think that if you think about that just for a short time, you will certainly be impressed by it, that God became man for our sake. Remember the grace-filled gospel message in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9? It says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 7, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now listen closely to the wonder and awe. And be found in him, be found in Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, by, that by any means I possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amazing. This is amazing. This here, this, this simple passage that I just read for you outlines the, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ in clear terms. We're, we're saved by grace through faith. Not a, not a righteousness of our own, but a righteousness of Christ that comes from God through faith. That is amazing, awe-inspiring. Jesus was measured against the world in Paul's mind, and there was no comparison. He says he counts everything rubbish compared to Christ. Why? Because of the greatness of Christ and what he has done for his people. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, thinking of the gospel. In verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow! The love of God is so grand, so spectacular, 
it, it brings these kind of thoughts to the mind of the Apostle Paul. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, listen to this awe-inspiring verse. Christ is in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This Christ who came to earth, this Christ who has saved our soul, this Christ who has entered our heart through the Holy Spirit, this one in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God is mine and I am his. How wonderful is that? How amazing, how awe-inspiring is that, Christian friend? Friend, I could, I could spend an entire sermon series on the wonder-inducing word of God. I may do that sometime. Think back to some of the more wonder-inducing passages from your time at SVC. We've covered the doctrinal Mount Everest in Romans. If Rome, the study of Romans didn't cause awe in your life, you were probably sleeping during that sermon series. The spiritual encouragement and challenges of James and Philippians, those were awe-inspiring, wonderful letters that we studied. The clarity of God's love for us in Genesis, the powerful presentation of the person of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, all these things are wonderful. Can you say with me and the psalmist, your testimonies are wonderful? I think you can. Testimonies, of course, is a reference to God's word. You remember the eight synonyms that we've talked about recently that uh, refer to the word of God in Psalm 119. The word testimonies is just one of those eight synonyms. It's re reference to the word of God. So when he says, your testimonies are wonderful, he's saying the word of God is wonderful. It is God's word that we find this awe and wonder of Christ for us. For the Christian, God's word is wonderful. Let me, let me read the rest of this stanza for you. I'll start again in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your testimonies or your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. My hope and prayer, Sun Valley Church, as your pastor, is that you never pass by the pages of scriptures indifferently. That you never look at scriptures apathetically and say, oh, maybe tomorrow. My objective in my study and in my prayer for you is to present the word of God to you so that you'll joyfully and enthusiastically embrace this word and that it would be wonderful to your heart and to your soul. Because these pages of scripture are filled with the revelation of God, his love, and his gracious plan for the ages, I want these always to be filling your mind. The wonder of the word of God. I want this book to fill your heart with joy. I want this word of God to be always drawing you, always enticing you, always encouraging, exhorting, and blessing you. I want you to be able to say here with the psalmist in verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. And why do we long for anything? Is it not because they bring such wonder and awe and are attractive to us? Yes, that is the case. And so as we look this morning specifically closely at the pay stanza and then briefly at the tzade stanza, which is verses 137 through 144, I want to give you seven reasons God's word is wonderful. 
I think you'll find this outline uh, on the Sun Valley Church website under the liturgy section of the website. But I want you to see seven reasons God's word is wonderful. Let's look through the text and see if we can find them. First of all, I want, I want you to see that God's word is wonderful because it gives understanding to the simple. I don't know about you, but I put myself in that category, the simple. I need God's word to give understanding to me so I can understand life, so I can understand God, so I can understand salvation and my need for a savior. I need that. I need the word of God to give me light to my path, to help me understand the direction in life that God would have me go. The Hebrew here in, in verse 130, the Hebrew word in verse 130 that is translated unfolding, do you see that there? The unfolding of your word gives light. That, that word in, can mean either door or revelation. And where this idea came from in the Hebrew mind was that in the early days of the Hebrew culture, they were Bedouin tent dwellers, you remember that. Their tent's doorway was simply a, an animal skin uh, that either let the light in or kept the light out, that, that kept the weather out or let the weather in. And so that was the idea behind door or revelation, that word that is translated here in the ESV, unfolding. Uh, so everything inside the tent, when you unfolded the tent's doorway, became lightened or, or visible, discernible. Some translations use the word entrance instead of unfolding. The entrance of light brings understanding. When you come into a room that's dark and you flip on the switch, that's the entrance of light. That word is translated unfolding here in verse 130. When God's word is introduced into the matter, it brings light, it brings understanding. If there's uncertainty about anything, um, it brings certainty. Uh, it it, it clears up the matter or the conversation. It gives us the right direction or the right way to think or act or what priorities we should have. God's word unfolds. It gives entrance. It brings light into the picture and brings understanding with it. This is why God's word is wonderful. It brings understanding to the mind. Martin Luther commented on verse 129 and he said that God's word brings understanding in a way that is hidden from those who were wise in their own eyes. God's word brings understanding if you are, quote, ready, prepared, always eager to be taught, judged, and to hear rather than to teach, judge, and be heard yourself. God's word brings understanding to the simple, to those who acknowledge it, to those who desire understanding. This is what God's word does. This truth, that is, giving understanding, I think is beautifully illustrated in Luke 24. Do you remember the story when Jesus, after he had been resurrected, joined two disciples who were leaving Jerusalem back to Emmaus? They, they were discouraged because they thought Jesus was the savior of the world, you know, and then they see him suffer and die on Calvary and enter the tomb, not knowing that he had been resurrected, hearing the story, but not really believing in resurrection themselves. They didn't understand what was going on. And so what did Jesus do as he walked along beside them on the road to Emmaus? He began to unfold the scriptures, to shed light on their minds from the scriptures. What does it say in Luke 24, 32? They said to each other, 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? So that's the first thing that happens when we come to the word of God. The scriptures are opened. Secondly, their eyes were opened, Luke 24, 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So the word of God is opened or unfolded. You see and understand, and this, that's the third thing. Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand. So the scriptures were opened, their eyes could see, their mind could understand. Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is how it works, Christian friend. First, the scriptures must be open. Then we see Jesus as we should. And then finally, our minds grasp the importance of whatever the matter is, and we understand. That's how God's word ministers to our lives. That's why you must sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word consistently. This is why you must do so humbly and expectantly. Sun Valley Church, I, I hope that when you come to church, you, you have an expectation to hear from God. I pray that you're anxious to hear what the Holy Spirit has to teach you as the word of God is opened to your mind as you begin to understand how the scriptures speaking, are speaking to you concerning your life. That is my prayer for you. And so we see an important sequence in this pay stanza from verse 129 to verse 136. First of all, the unfolding of the, the word in verse 130, an understanding of the word in that same verse 130, a desiring for that word in verse 131, and then the consequence of all those things of, of unfolding, of seeing, of understanding, of desiring the word of God, the consequence or result of all that in the sequence laid out here is this, obedience. Obedience to that word, verse 129, 134, and 136. He says in 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Verse 134, redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. And then of course 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And so the consequence of having the, the word of God flood your mind and give you understanding, give you a desire for more, is obedience. Obedience to God's word is obedience to God. Charles Bridges wrote, the stamp of divine authority upon God's word, while it deepens our reverence, commands our steady and cheerful obedience. The result of the intake of the word of God is following closely after Christ. Obedience. The second reason that God's word is wonderful is seen in verse 132. God's word reveals God's mercy. Is that not wonderful to you that God's word reveals God's mercy? I think it is, if you think about it shortly. One of the primary elements of the gospel is the mercy of God towards undeserving sinners. Look at verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. What an amazing verse. I think I might preach that verse for Christmas this year. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Wow. Notice that this verse does not specifically mention the word of God. This is the last one in this chapter like this. Of all 176 verses 
in Psalm 119, only four do not specifically mention the Word of God. Verse 132 is one of them. It's the last one of them. But more important than this, than this detail is the content of verse 132. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is in God's Word where the psalmist and where you and me should find God's mercy. Do you remember Charles Wesley's hymn? I love that hymn. I'm sure you do too. We sing it here occasionally. And can it be? The third verse has always stunned me. Every time we sing it, I can hardly get through it because of the wonder of the verse. Listen to it. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, Philippians 2, and bled for Adam's race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Friends, until you personally experience the mercy of God, his word won't be all that wonderful to you. Is God's word wonderful to you? If not, it may be because you haven't experienced God's mercy, which is found in his word. When you have experienced this divine mercy, all of a sudden his word takes on a glorious wonder and fills your heart with joy and anticipation, expectation really. This is why the psalmist opens his mouth and pants and longs for more of God's word, verse 131. Thirdly, God's word is wonderful because it gives guidance to life. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly in need of God's guidance. I come across things all the time in my life, in my family, in my job, in my relationships with my neighbors, in my choices that I make, where I need the guidance of God. And here we find out in verses 133 and 134 that God's word steadies my steps and guides me even though I'm being oppressed by those pe other people in my life. Look at 133 and 134 again with me. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Your promise is the word of God again. Remember, it's a synonym. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Friends, God's word steadies our steps and guides us even though we're being oppressed by those around us. When we commit to obeying God's word, we find guidance from God's word. We also find deliverance from oppression and victory over sin when we commit to taking in and obeying the word of God. You remember Psalm 119, 105, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You're right. The fourth reason God's word is so wonderful, according to this stanza, is that his word is where we find God. God's word is wonderful because God is there. <laughs> we can see some similarities between this verse and the ironic blessing. Look at verse 135. Make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Make your face shine upon your servants and teach me your statutes. That sounds familiar, doesn't it, to number six? And it's intended to. Let me read that number six passage for you. Verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
This was the greatest desire of all in the Old Testament. This was the greatest blessing in the Old Testament, to, to see the face of God, the beatific vision. This was Moses' request, you remember, in, in Exodus? Oh, Lord, let me see your face. Of course, God didn't allow that because those who see his face would die, and so he let him see his backside as he was covered in the cleft of the rock. But this was the desire of most in the Old Testament to see God, to experience God. The point is that in the word of God, we can see the face of God. Did you hear that? In the word of God, we can see the face of God. Specifically, we can see the face of God in Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the Gospels. And as, his, as the revelation of Jesus pops up in the New and the Old Testaments, we see him sprinkled all throughout. And that is simply a revelation of the face of God. The presence of God. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says that Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is the one who makes the Father known. You remember what Peter, I mean, uh, Jesus asked Philip in John 14, 9. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if we get a glimpse of Jesus on the pages of Scripture, we've seen God, is what Jesus is saying, is what the Scriptures teach. So do you want to get to know God? Do you want an experience of God, Christian friend? Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus, the revelation of God himself. Now let's continue looking at the seven reasons that the Word of God is so wonderful by jumping down into the next stanza, the next eight verses, verses 137 through 144. This is called the Tzade stanza. And again, don't get excited. We're not covering two stanzas in one sermon. I'm just giving you an overview here. And we're starting by looking at the seven reasons that word of God is so wonderful, so awe-inspiring. It continues in the Tzade stanza. The fifth reason that God's word is so wonderful is because it's altogether righteous. Look at the stanza real quickly, verses 137 through 144, and you'll see it. Verse 137, 138, 142, 144, all speak of the righteousness of God, the righteousness of his word, the truth of his righteousness. If God is altogether righteous, it makes complete sense that his word would also be altogether righteous, right? Everything about the word of God is right, is the point. God's word is the source in which we discover the righteousness of God. God, being the source of righteousness, reveals himself in Scripture, and we take it in. We're going to get to the detail of the Sade stanza in the months ahead, but if you quickly glance at it, you're going to see that righteousness is the theme of those eight verses. Righteousness is a big deal to God, and it should be a big deal to us. Without righteousness, no one's sins will be forgiven. Did you know that? Without righteousness, no one's sins will be forgiven. The forgiveness of our sins rests on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our acceptance by God the Father rests on the imputed righteousness of Jesus. God credits the righteousness of Jesus to our account when we put our hope and trust in him. Those of us who have been saved possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which grants us access to a holy Father. Sixth, the sixth reason the Word of God is so wonderful. God's Word is wonderful because it has been tested and proved. This is important to us, isn't it? Look at verse 140. Your promise is well tried. 
and your servant loves it. We tend to love things that are well tried. There's nothing quite like the comfort that comes with something that's been tested and tried. I'm pretty sure that I would, I would want to make sure that the parachute worked before I jumped out of a plane, wouldn't you? Yeah. Whether it's clothing, computers, cars, parenting strategy, Bible study methods, if it has been tested and tried, if it has stood the test, then it's wonderful to us. We love trustworthiness. We love things that work. This is why there are consumer reviews. This is, why, this is what we find when we come to God's word. It's been tested. It's been tried. It's been, true, it's been proved to be trustworthy. Friends, there are endless five-star customer reviews throughout human history concerning the word of God. It's been tested and tried. God's character has been tested and tried and proved. God's promises have been tested and tried and proved. God's faithfulness have been tested and tried and proved by countless people throughout the ages. It is wonderful. Finally, the seventh reason God's word is wonderful is found in verse 142. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. God's word is wonderful because it's true. How simple is that? It's true. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We know that it's not untrue. I suppose that this is very important to every single Christian. We bank on the promises of God in the gospel because we believe the Bible is true. If we didn't believe the Bible, we wouldn't understand the gospel, wouldn't believe the gospel. If we weren't convinced of the truth of God's word, we wouldn't commit our lives to the gospel. We wouldn't invest our money in God's church or his kingdom. We wouldn't work and spend our effort and our energy towards something that we're not sure is true or not. We wouldn't waste our time coming to church to hear God's word preached and explained, not certain whether or not it was true. We believe the word of God is true, and so we come and listen and take it in. Every word is true. That's what makes this book so wonderful. When we open it, we can expect truth. We can expect encouragement. We expect all these things that are true because they come from a true God. God's word is wonderful. And these two standards have given us seven reasons why. I'm so anxious to continue our study in Psalm 119, to dig back into the depths of God's word and, and preach to you about the greatness of this book we call God's word, the Bible. Friends, it, it reveals God to us. It is wonderful. I really hope and pray that you'll make it a priority to be here regularly, consistently, as we unpack, as we unfold the word of God for you here Sunday after Sunday. Pray with me. Lord, God of heaven and earth, lover of our souls, Father of our Savior Jesus Christ, we're so thankful that you have given to us the revelation of yourself here in this book, the Bible, the word of God. Without it, we would have nothing. We would be lost, aimless, hopeless. But we have it. We have the Word of God here revealed to us, even in our own language, for which we are so thankful. I pray that, Father, as the weeks and months come, that, that you will faithfully, by your Holy Spirit, open the wonderful Word of God to us, that we may hear and live, that we may hear and be saved, that we may hear and be encouraged. Oh God, bless our church as we take in this word, 
Help us to faithfully obey and follow what we hear. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.